Welcome to the UX Podcast, where we learn how to turn a rockstar business into a UX machine. UX introduces a simple formula for personal and business growth based around one principle. We can't solve big, valuable problems alone. Starting with this principle, UX equips and empowers us to pour ourselves into people and systems, scale authentically, and create a life of exponential freedom and impact. And now, let's get started with the latest episode of the UX Podcast. What's up, Rockstars? It's Matt Johnson here, back with another episode of the UX Podcast. Very, very interesting conversation for you today with Kyle Racky, who's the CEO and co-founder of Proposify. Uh, he's a former agency owner, now turned SaaS and tech startup founder. Uh, and I don't, I don't know that you call them in the startup phase anymore because they've got 6,000 some clients and 50 team members. But we're going to talk about transitions. Um, and the reason this is such an interesting conversation is that Kyle has been through some very interesting transitions from starting as a freelancer, building an agency, getting out of the agency, starting a SaaS company, uh, and then within the SaaS company now transitioning from selling to what he calls bunnies, which would be like the you know entrepreneur, solopreneur, small agency kind of market where you have people that move fast and they're easy to, easy to catch, easy to work with, but there's not a lot there to what he calls deers, uh, which would be the ones that are still relatively easy to catch, but they're the clients that more meat on the bone, so to speak. In other words, they're once you catch them, they stay with you longer, they have a much, much higher lifetime customer value. And so in other words, he's moving up and transitioning from one type of customer to another. And there's things that go along with that and lessons that they're learning. And so we're going to talk about that. We're also going to talk about removing yourself as the linchpin in your business, which I love that terminology. Uh, he's found that, you know, as growing from a smaller agency now to a SaaS company with 50 you know, plus employees, that you cannot be the linchpin. You cannot be the one that everything runs through. Everything can't re require your approval, uh, which I think is absolutely the case. Um, I refer to that uh, as flipping, flipping the hourglass, right? Getting the things um, into the bottom of the, the hourglass where other people are delivering most of the value in the business and not your own time, effort, and energy. And so we talked about the keys to doing that. Um, there's also some, some good lessons there. If you're curious about or if you've thought about getting into the SaaS market, um, one of our clients on the podcast production side transitioned from uh, being simply a coach, he's a coach in the mortgage industry, to starting a SaaS company. And then that, that actual SaaS product is included in his coaching. And so it, it amplifies the effect of his coaching. Uh, and then he also is a, you know sells it off to other businesses and things like that. So if you've thought about doing something like that and you want to peek into what it's like to transition from running a professional service firm to running a SaaS or a tech company, this is a great episode for you. So I'm excited for you to, uh, to see and hear it. It's Kyle Racky, CEO and founder of Proposify. So let's jump in with Kyle. Well, Kyle, officially welcome to the show. Uh, glad to be here, Matt. Thanks for asking me. Absolutely, man. It's uh, you've got an interesting background, which we'll get into in a second. But uh, just kind of catch us up to where you're at today, because people might know you from, they might know you from Proposify. You've you've hosted a couple of different iterations of your podcast. You've done a ton of work in the agency field, um, and so kind of catch us up as far as what you're doing today. Sure. So uh, I'm the CEO of a company called Proposify, which is a SaaS product that helps uh, companies of all types with their proposals, helps streamline the process and, and offer a, a better client experience. Um, so that's what I'm doing today. We're uh, currently serving over 6,000 companies around the world. Uh, our team is just over 50. And, um, and yeah, we're, we're having a ton of fun and, and doing our best to help other companies. 
Cool, man. So what's, uh, tell me a little bit, like how, how long ago did you make that transition from just running an agency and finding the need to just shifting gears and going all in on Proposify? Yeah. Well, I mean, it's, it's a bit of a tale and I'll try to condense it down so it's not too long, but okay. essentially I started my career as a designer um, back in the early mid 2000s. Um, actually, it was around that time when I was a junior designer as, back as, as far back as 2005, working on client proposals and laying out what our account managers had done that I actually kind of thought, hey, there should be like a base camp for this because base camp had just come out. There should be like a base camp for proposals. So I kind of had that idea and sat on it for a long time. Um, eventually went on my own, transitioned into a freelancer, then started an agency with, uh, with a guy named Kevin who I had met. He was a BD guy at the agency that I left before I became freelance. We ran the agency for about five years, um, made a ton of mistakes, and some of those mistakes caught up to us uh, a little too, uh, too quickly. So um, eventually we kind of decided we really wanted a way to uh, build, a, build a product with recurring revenue, get out of kind of the, the agency grind. Yep. And we worked to sell off our agency. And uh, we had actually tried a few different SaaS products and they all failed miserably. And then we kind of thought after our fourth or fifth attempt, hey, let's pull out the old proposal app idea give that another uh, college try. And, uh, and to our surprise, there was a lot of interest and we realized it was a big pain point for a lot of people. So we just went all in, um, left the agency in 2014, um, raised a small seed round of funding for Proposify with you know three of us, uh, just me, Kevin, and, and our CTO, Jonathan, and uh, started getting product market fit around then. And, and now it's been scaling ever since. Cool. And, and looking back on, on the experience, you mentioned just some of the mistakes and, you know, building out the agency and stuff like that. And I want to tie some things together. Um, what do you feel like was your internal kind of like the unique abilities and skills that you had that the agency was built around that now you're taking into Proposify? Yeah, I mean, you know, I was in such a different place back then. And, and really, I mean, five years ago, I guess we had left. So it's not that long, but I feel like it was. It feels like a lifetime ago. Yeah, I was in, I was only 24 when I started uh, the agency, so um, there was a lot of basic stuff that I that I didn't know. I had no business training, no management training or experience. Um, so I think there was a lot of stuff, basic stuff around delegation and and leadership that I lacked. Mm, a lot yeah, yeah. Of. Okay. Um, and I think over the course of running the agency and then realizing all the, you know, a lot of the mistakes that I made, I was able to kind of pick up the pieces again and, and try to do it right with Proposify. Um, but even then, I think we hit a point where Proposify became much bigger than our agency ever did. So I was kind of once again at uh, square one as far as I don't know what I'm doing. And thankfully, through books and through uh, getting some coaching, I've been able to, you know, try to level up and, and, and stay up, stay level with the, the, the rate that the company is scaling. Very cool. Uh, all right. So delegation leadership, you felt like places were where you were lacking. Um, but what were, what were your strengths back then? What was the, was, did, a, did a lot of the agency rest on your design skills? Was it the, your client management? Were you the guy bringing in the sales and dealing with the clients? Like what was your, what was your role? I, w I was, the way Kevin and I always played off each other was that Kevin was the sales guy and he, and the, the business guy. Cause he's 20, actually 20 years older than me. Oh, wow. Um, we had, we had a lot of uh, different, you know, dynamics, uh, in our partnership and, and that yeah. was one of them. Um, but he was always the sales and, and kind of operations guy. And I was always more, I guess the, the visionary, like really, you know, design UX was my thing, marketing. 
and more the strategy for clients and that kind of thing. So in the very beginning, he was more or less selling me and my skills. And then Mm -hmm. we started hiring people to, to fulfill on the amount of work that was coming in. Um, but I wasn't able at that point to transition between, you know, Kyle's the designer that you want to hire, um, into actually, this is our, our agency's vision and our approach to solving problems. And we have a, a team of people better than me who, who can actually scale the business. So you felt like that was the point that you weren't able that like, that was the ceiling that you hit in the agency where you weren't able to cross that, cross that bridge. It was, it was one of them for sure. Like, gotcha. um, you know, I didn't do a good enough job, I guess, of, uh, selling the agency. It was more so about me. Yeah. Right. Interesting. Okay. So now flash, you know, fast forward into proposified, you've essentially poured your visionary strategy and all that stuff kind of into the product. So how do you, how do you bridge that? Like what are, what are you spending your time on every week versus like developing the product and making sure that the product is amazing and you know, clients are happy and stuff like that versus delegating, just leading the team. Cause 50 people is no joke. That is a full, that is a full-time job just managing 50 people. Yeah. Yeah. I used to always be, uh, just enamored when I, when I would talk to somebody who ran a company with over 50 people. I remember I talked to somebody years ago who had like 400 people or something in his startup. Um, they had raised a lot of money and I just said, how do you manage that many people? Cause that's what I was used to was just a flat structure and the boss is the boss and everybody, you know, reports to the boss. Um, and I didn't get that whole thing of like, no, you, and this is what he said to me, like, I don't manage 400 people. I have a team of lieutenants that I manage and they in turn have their people that report to them and so on. Um, so that's where I've sort of been able to transition more to, um, to, to better leadership where it's not about micromanaging projects and, and needing to, to give everybody approval on everything that goes out the door. Um, what I've been able to do more so the last couple of years is find whether it's recruiting or just, you know, leveling up within the existing company, uh, mm-hmm. people who have good potential to be leaders and to run teams and be a good coach for those people so that mm-hmm. I don't need to deal in product. I mean, I can, I, I sit in every now and then and, and talk about product and, and my Ricky uh, Ferris, my chief product officer, you know, he and I just talk all the time over lunch and, Mm-hmm. whatnot about product stuff, but, but I can also go away to, you know, travel for a conference or, or personally for, for a week or two. And I, everything's operating as it should be. I'm not a linchpin. And I think a lot of, especially yeah. agency owners make themselves linchpins. Nothing can go out without the big, the big boss man or woman. Okay. That's interesting. Okay. And I think you're a hundred percent right on that. That's, that's a great phrase. Actually, that might be the the phrase of the episode is remove yourself as the linchpin. Um, but I want to keep going on the, on the transition stuff. Cause you guys have gone through a transition just over the last what year or two of, of proposify in terms of like even who your ideal client is and what markets you play in and all that stuff. So I want to talk about some of the lessons you're learning along the way. You don't feel like you're quite there yet, but I think this is a, a good time to kind of dip in and kind of see what the, uh, what the progress is. So tell us a little bit sure. about just what the transition is, and then we'll get into some of the things that you're learning. So I think one of the reasons for our earlier success with Proposify was that we really intimately understood our audience because we were our audience. We were yeah. scratching our own itch and building yeah. a product that we wanted um, for ourselves. And so when we kind of started a lot of you know, our blog content and our messaging within the product, was completely geared towards small agency owners, especially yeah. web design and marketing um, was really our, our core group of customers. 
And every feature we added was either based on what they told us or what we also just intuitively knew we needed. Um, and so we, that worked for us for, for a few years. And I think it was actually probably one of the most important um, ways that we started the company because we didn't do that with our agency. I think one of our biggest mistakes with the agencies was like many, we went too broad. We didn't have a niche. We didn't know who our target audience was. We just took anyone and anything that came to us yeah. for, for work. And we were very specific and very intentional about uh, Proposify. But then something kind of started to happen around uh, maybe year two or three of Proposify. So everything was taken off. It was scaling. Um, we didn't need to raise more money. We were profitable. And things were going well. Um, and then I think what we realized was we we saw, and this happens to a lot of SaaS companies, is they kind of get that early growth and that early traction and then churn starts to take hold in their businesses. And so <laughs> right. a lot of their customers start canceling and the rate of cancellation is almost equal to the amount of new customers that you're bringing into the funnel. So your growth is kind of leveling off a little bit. Yep. And churn is is kind of, you know, it's, it's what cart abandonment is to e-commerce companies, right? It's that one metric that you're just always trying to get down because mm -hmm. it's, it's killing you. Mm -hmm. um, so churn affects a lot of SaaS companies. And for us, we really wanted to dig in and try to figure out why, like, you know, why can't we retain as many customers as we would like? Okay. And a lot of it came down to um, just kind of the fluctuation in agency businesses. So a lot of agencies, especially very small ones, you know, they'll try out a tool for a few months. Um, and especially with proposals, it's not you know, they go through periods where they write a lot of proposals, they need the tool, and then maybe throughout the summer, they don't write any proposals. Mm. Um, so a lot of them just won't keep paying for a product they're not using. So they cancel. And there was not really anything we could do about that. I mean, we can, you know, if it's a, if there's a bug, we can fix that. If there's a feature that's needed, we can, you know, look at adding that to our roadmap if it's really <laughs> but if it's, important. If it's tied to their horrible sales performance and yeah, up, ups, ups and downs of their their sales cycle. Exactly, exactly. And we, I mean, agencies, most of them are, um, you know, volatile in that sense, right? There's a lot so of future small famine. Ones. Mm -hmm. The small ones, especially, yeah. Um, so what we ended up kind of experimenting with was, okay, well, let's see if we hired a couple of salespeople to go after bigger customers that always wrote proposals that never had, you know, down periods. They always, then they had a sales team. And so we hired them in late 2006, or sorry, 2016. Um, and even without putting a big focus on that, just kind of as a side experiment where we said, okay, we're still just going the way we're going, but we're just going to kind of experiment with the sales team. They started bringing in a small amount of customers, but the customers they brought in their lifetime value was exponentially higher than most of the other ones. The, okay. um, the churn was much lower, uh, just kind of everything about those customers, you know, even the sales process wasn't that long. So we started kind of researching a little bit more and, and uh, there's a great post I read, which unfortunately I can't remember the name of, but I can send it to you afterwards. Um, and it talked about deer hunting and how usually the best customers for a startup to go after are deer. And what I mean by that is they're not bunnies, right? Because we were going after bunnies, small customers who would pay it, you know, easy to catch, easy to catch, but not yeah. a lot of meat on them. Yeah. And you have to catch a lot of them to feed yourself. Yeah. Um, some startups go the other way and they start going after elephants. They're it's right. all enterprise. <laughs> yeah. Right. And it could take a whole team to bring down an elephant and it, yep. and it could take 18 months to do it and it'll feed you for a long time. But can you last that long? Can you? Yes, exactly. Months? 
Yeah. So the best customers are deers. Relatively easy to catch, tons of meat on them. Um, the, they're, they're usually the right fit. We've also seen that with companies like HubSpot. HubSpot started very small. Um, I think they've actually kind of returned that way since they've gone public, but um, that could be an experiment. But one of the reasons HubSpot is who they are is because they made that decision to move up market and go after mm -hmm. the mid-market. Yeah. So that's what we've, now that we've kind of had some data and we've been working with some consultants and researchers and talking to our customers, we just realized that that really is the future of, um, at least in our category of SaaS, mm -hmm. that's what's going to create the most value and the biggest win for us. Man, that's interesting. I, and I love the analogy. What, what's, what's your experience been with like hiring and working with a consultant to help you make those types of decisions? Is that where some of those, is that, are they the ones that brought you that research on like the bunnies, the deer, like giving you that analogy? Yeah. I mean, so the blog post that I read, um, that I will get you is the, is the deer hunting one. Um, so that, that I just kind of found the consultants actually that we hired were, um, we're still working with them too. their company called price intelligently, mm -hmm. uh, based out of Boston. And they're basically the SaaS pricing experts. Mm -hmm. So they work with a lot of SaaS companies to try to help them price their product in, in the right way. Um, to try to find the value metric that most aligns with what their audience needs. Mm -hmm. So what I mean by that is if you're uh, a per seat pricing, you know, then, then adding user seats is kind of your value metric. It's how you add value to the product. It's not the case with every piece of software, like some software, it's the amount of uh, storage that you use in the case of a storage, uh, you know, Dropbox or box. So mm -hmm. every SaaS company has kind of a different thing that as you as a, a user or a customer, as you start to use more of it, naturally your price adjusts and moves up with it. And we had, when we were going after the small market, we were using the amount of proposals people write as our value metric because it made sense at the time. We said, hey, if people are canceling because they don't have proposals to write, well, then let's price the product by how many proposals am I writing? Okay. That made total sense for us. Um, but when we realized, okay, we're moving into kind of a, the mid-market sort of enterprise, but not quite, mm -hmm. um, is the does the value still align or the pricing still align? And you know, do we want to just keep throwing stuff at the wall and seeing what sticks or do we want to actually base our decision off of data? And so that's where a company like Price Intelligently gotcha. is extremely helpful because they actually have a way of surveying the market, uncovering data, and then analyzing it and giving you some, some solid insight into how your market wants to pay and what, what they value your product to be at. Gotcha. Okay, excellent. Um, so let's go back to just for a quick minute and then I, I want to honor your time, make sure that we wrap up and, and tell people a little bit about Proposify and where they can learn more. But I want to go back to the concept of kind of removing yourself as a linchpin. So now you kind of learned the lesson, right? You transitioned over, you made a couple of big transitions. So agency to SaaS and then SaaS for low, for bunnies to SaaS for deer. So you make all these transitions. Now you're getting really dialed in on what the market is, who the ideal client is and stuff like that. And you guys already have a team of 50 and, and sounds like you can keep on growing. Um, so you mentioned the, you're, you're looking for great people, right? And you're looking for people that can be leaders. So how much, um, how, like how much of your focus now is more on the recruiting and leadership development? And like, what are you looking for in those people that allows you to step back and not be the linchpin so you can actually continue to grow? Right. No, that's a great question. And I think a big recommendation for people who are interested in this kind of stuff is to read uh, the book Traction by Gino Wickman. Um, so there's actually two traction books. I think one is really uh, marketing focused. Oh, mm -hmm. you've got it. It's one of my top it. five recommended. Amazing. Oh, wait, let me see it. Let me see the cover again. 
who's who's the written by gino oh yes okay you got the right i wanted to make sure because (laughs) there is another right there's another traction book okay um so no that's great so you've read it um so i guess for the for the benefit of your audience we started implementing this last year it's it's uh they they call it the eos system the entrepreneurial operating system and it's really more about creating um a system and a process that your people operate under where you as the leader can can work with them you set the vision you set the the goals at a at a high level at a 12 month level um and then you kind of work under this entrepreneurial operating system to figure out, okay, what are the key issues on a quarterly basis that are keeping us from hitting our goals? What are the key projects or the big rocks mm-hmm. you know, that each department needs to, to finish this quarter in order to work towards hitting that goal? And then running a weekly sync meeting with them where basically you review, you know, you review your scorecard. You know, each department has their own metrics that, they, that they're looking to hit at a weekly level they're working on projects that all align with those metrics and then they have issues that they're trying to solve. And so really implementing that system and having that kind of discipline behind the weekly sync and the quarterly planning and the yearly planning completely changed how I run a business because Mm -hmm. then it wasn't just, Hey, by the end of the year, we'd love to do, you know, and actually we'd love to grow by 80%. um, And then just, winging it from day to day. Yeah. Now there was an actual system and a process behind, you know, uh, giving your leaders, people on your team, the goals of what to hit, but not necessarily telling them exactly what to do. Mm. So then they create their own projects and they hire their own teams. And then they're responsible for, for training their people and hiring their people and, and working with them to say, okay, this is our number. We got to hit this, or this is our project. We got to finish this. So me as the leader can, and as the CEO, uh, I don't need to manage anybody other than coaching my leaders to success, yeah. right? So when it comes to even recruitment, I'm certainly there to help. And I think it's one of the, one of the core functions of a CEO other than, you know, making sure you don't run it out of money, <laughs> uh, keeping money in the bank and, um, you know, having a vision for the company and being able to articulate that vision. The third one is getting the right people in the right seats. Yep. And so that's usually the people on the leadership team. Um, but then, you know, you also need to be willing as a CEO to step in and say like, okay, what's really killing our growth this week? We don't have DevOps because this is where the bottleneck is. Yeah. And so you still as a CEO kind of have to be willing to roll up your sleeves and go, I'm going to go out and try to find a DevOps, work with our recruiter, work with HR, but really um, willing to help however I can to recruit that key, key hire. Gotcha. Yeah, it's interesting. I've noticed because um, just with the podcast production company over the last year, I've started to, to, you know, rather than have people report directly to me, start having my my key people be in charge, like completely in charge of the recruiting and hiring process and hire to our values and stuff like that. What's interesting about that is it's, it's helped and exposed areas where they need to grow without me telling them, hey, you need to grow in this area. Because all yeah. of a sudden having people underneath you, like it, it just, it changes you. And of course you've been, you've been through that yourself. <clears throat> it's interesting and it's fun to watch other people go through it and be able to help them and share what you've learned and some of the lessons of, of the transitions from going to just kind of doing it to then leading other people to do it. It's, it's really fun and interesting to see other people go through that transition and be able to help them through it, um, which has been, it's been really awesome. Um, but let's talk about Proposify a little bit and then we'll close things out. So tell people, um, just who kind of the ideal client is. If there's people in the audience that are already working with those folks, how can they send people to you? 
uh, and stuff like that. And because we've got a lot of agency, you know, owners and CMOs and stuff like that to listen to the podcast that might be your ideal client. Yeah. So, I mean, we want to help and empower sales teams. Um, we want to give them the tools that they need to send out proposals and also simplify the creation of those proposals, but also um, help them with their close rate and help them shorten their sales cycle. We, we, a lot of our Proposify is about delivering this, this wow experience to your clients so that they're not just getting a PDF in their inbox. They're actually uh, able to interact with your pricing. They're able to sign online. They're able to leave comments. And it's just visually a more impressive way to deliver a proposal to your clients. So anybody who uses that, you know, um, can get value out of it, you know, from, from small businesses. So even though I did talk about bunnies and, and elephants, you know, we still have small plans. So people can, um, can still sign onto those. They're just not who we target specifically. They're, they're not who we're hunting. Um, but any, you know, anybody who runs a sales team or does sales within their company can make use of it. And we do also have a partner program that people can check out. We actually just hired a VP of strategic partnerships. Who's going to run that program. Awesome. We've had it in place for about a year, year and a half and have about 50 agencies that both resell Proposify, but also get delivered leads and, and can do some service work for our clients. Cause a lot of clients will come to us and maybe use our software, but they, they want a bespoke or a custom design proposal template. Okay. Um, and that's an opportunity for a lot of agencies to be able to say like, Hey, we'll do that for you. And there's probably a lot of other stuff. Maybe they need a new brand. Maybe they need a new yeah. website. Love it. That's awesome, man. Very, very cool. Well, I appreciate it. And, and I definitely appreciate coming like on the show and sharing kind of the, uh, the hard lessons on the way. I know the transition is still underway, but I, I love that conversation of going like small to mid market and stuff like that. Like it's, it's one of the things that I'm doing with my podcast production business, which has been an, an interesting journey. Um, and then share what's the, uh, the, the podcast that you currently run, uh, where you kind of speak directly to the audience and kind of share what you guys are learning and doing and all that good stuff. Where do people go to get their hands on that? Yeah, so um, there's a couple of different areas you can go that, go to that. So on the Proposify YouTube channel, if you just look that up, um, that's where we're sharing the videos. Um, the show is actually called LTV with Kyle Racky. Um, so a little double entendre there. But uh, yeah, they can get the show on iTunes, on Google Play, on SoundCloud, pretty much anywhere. Um, and also on my personal blog. So uh, if they go to kyleracky.com, that's where I'm also sharing the written version of those articles and the you know videos and podcast, um, and also have a book coming out if people want to check that out. Perfect. Yes, I wanted to make sure that we got to that because that is free trials and tribulations, right? It's kind of the uh, the entrepreneurial journey that you've been through. Yeah, yeah. So I wrote um, I'm just finishing up writing actually free trials and tribulations, and the subtitle is how to build a business while getting punched in the mouth. Um, <laughs> and so it's all just about the you know the entrepreneurial grind that I've been through both both personally and professionally. And if anybody out here is running a business, I'm sure they've all gone through either parts where points where they're running out of money or their, you know, spouse is leaving them or they're going through depression. And so it's all about how do you build a successful business while all this other crap is going on in your life. Excellent. And when's the, when's the book kind of roundabout, uh, approximately when does that drop? Um, it, will be launched in January 2019. And if people go to kyleracky.com, you can just put in your email address and um, I'll send you a link to it when it gets launched. 
Awesome. We'll have to uh, maybe have you back on the show at that point and just talk about the book and the journey because there's so much that we we barely like scratched our our pinky fingernail on like the what you've been through and uh, some of the other transitions in your in your business background, which I'd love to dive into. So, all right. Well, with that being said, everybody go check out all the links and all the stuff. We'll put all that good stuff in the show notes. So you have an easy way to go grab all the stuff that Kyle talked about, get onto his list for the show and the book and all that good stuff. And Kyle, thanks again. I really appreciate the time. Had a ton of fun. Thanks, Matt. Hey, Rockstars, thank you so much. I appreciate you investing your time, your effort, your energy into the show. I don't take that lightly. I so appreciate uh, you all listening and the feedback that I get from those of you who listen and engage with the show. Uh, Whether you agree or disagree with the things we talk about, I love hearing from you, so please reach out. And if you are in the audience and you're a business coach, a consultant, or you're in creative services, and you're thinking about using guest appearances on podcasts and interviews to boost your business, grow your brand, build more influence and attract ideal clients, or maybe you're watching other people in your space do that and you're wondering if this strategy will work for you and how to make that work. Uh, I did a special training with a client, Dana Malstaff, uh, who runs the Boss Mom Podcast. We produce her show. And we did a training all about that. And it's called How to Get Featured on the Right Podcast and get your ideal clients flocking to you. And a few of the things that we covered in that training, it's it's short, it's content packed, it's only about 35 minutes long. And we talked about how to get featured on podcasts in less than two hours a week, how to find the exact right podcast for you and make friends with those podcast hosts, how to become micro famous so you're known, liked and trusted in your space, and really how to, uh, how to craft a story hook uh, that really gets the attention of podcast hosts and gets them to say yes when you reach out and pitch yourself as a guest. And so we talk about all that and a bunch more in that training. So it's available at howtogetfeatured.com. That's howtogetfeatured.com. Pop your information in there. It's free and you get it in you know instant access to watch. You don't have to wait for a follow-up email. You don't have to wait for a fake webinar that's not actually live. None of that. It's a recorded training. You get instant access. So go check it out. I'd appreciate it. And I've said it before on previous episodes. This is my number one marketing strategy for myself for 2019. And I learned a lot of these things in the process of building the system for myself and my staff to pitch me as a expert guest on podcasts. And whenever somebody, whether it's one of my own clients or my friends and peers and colleagues in the space that we all run in, it's my number one recommendation for them to, to grow their brand, build their influence and attract ideal clients. So if that's you and you want more of that, go check that out. That's at howtogetfeatured.com. Thanks again so much. And we'll see you on the next episode of the UX podcast.